Hello, welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary, and today I am going to be talking about everything that happened in college football over the last week. We had a lot of great games this weekend, had a few upsets, a few major upsets at that, and we have some big news coming out of Nebraska that I want to talk about. But let's go ahead, not waste any time, and dive into all these topics, and let's start out with one of the best games we saw this weekend, and that was Alabama versus Texas. So, number one, Alabama went to Texas, and they struggled, um, and they barely avoided an upset, winning 20-19. to 19. Um, Like I said, Alabama struggled mightily in this game, and Texas played very well early in this game, and they were in it for the entire game. It ended up coming down to the end of the fourth quarter, but let's go ahead and break down everything that, everything that happened in this game. So Alabama led 10-3 after the first quarter. They went, went ahead early in this game, but... Texas tied the score 10-10 by halftime. Texas eventually went up 16-10 in the fourth, but Alabama scored 10 points in the last 8.5 minutes, and they kicked a game-winning field goal with 10 seconds remaining, and that ended up securing the victory for them. They ended up winning 20-19. So Texas was playing very well early on, and the main reason why is because their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, was playing very well. And I mean very, very well. Like, he looked like an NFL quarterback. The arm strength looked great. The arm talent was obviously there. Um, but what I was most impressed by is the fact that he didn't look... Um, he looked. He was calm. He was cool. He, he didn't succumb to the pressure. Um, he didn't crumble under the pressure of playing in front of that crazy of, of, of that crazy arena or that crazy stadium um, and playing against number one Alabama. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that, and I think he handled it very, very well. Um, he looked like a seasoned veteran, not somebody who was playing um, in his first season as the full-time starter. He looked awesome, and I was very impressed. So I want to give a, shout, a huge shout-out to him. Um, also, he did end up getting hurt in, I believe, the second quarter, and he did not uh, come back to the game. And that's a big reason why Texas lost in this game. Um, although they were close with Alabama, I wouldn't say that Texas was good. Um, in fact, I would say they were, uh, they were not very good in this game, at least not offensively. So in this game, they scored less than 20 total points, and they had .01 EPA per play, which is in the 41st percentile, which is below average. Um, their offense just wasn't very good. Um, it, it was great early when Quinn Ewers was in the game, but once he got hurt and left the game, um, Hudson Card came in, and at this point, uh, Texas's play calling changed dramatically. And, that, and that's one of my biggest issues that I had with their head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, in this game. I thought his play calling was too conservative at times once Quinn Ewers left the game. He was cooking at the beginning of this game. Like, his play calling was fantastic in the first and second quarter. Um, he was creating a lot of wide-open looks for Quinn Ewers, uh, getting a lot of big games on early downs. Just, he was killing Alabama at the beginning. But... Once Hudson Card came in, he started running the ball a ton, not throwing the ball down the field. And I get why. He wanted to get the halftime. He didn't want to make any mistakes. But I think in doing that and trying not to make, make mistakes, 
he made their offense worse by not throwing the ball down the field and not going for any big plays. And I think it made their offense worse. Um, and I think that's a big issue, uh, especially when you're going up against a team like Alabama with a head coach like Nick Saban. You just cannot play conservatively against them. You have to be aggressive, and you have to throw everything you have at them. You can't You can't be conservative, and you can't play to not lose. You have to play to win against Alabama, and you have to go at the jugular. You, you have to go for the kill when you're playing Alabama. There's no other way you can play against them, or else you're going to get destroyed, um, or, or you're going to lose in this case. Obviously, Texas didn't get destroyed. But that's because Alabama sucked in this game. No, dis- no, no disrespect. They were just terrible in this game. I'm just being honest. I'm just calling it how it was or how it is. All right. So let's talk about. Also, I want to talk about Texas, Texas's defense because they were really, really good in this game. They only allowed 20 points, which is insane, uh, considering they were playing Alabama. Alabama has such a good offense. And the fact that Texas only allowed 20 points is incredible. Um, and their pass rush was great. They recorded two sacks and seven quarterback hurries in this game, which was really good. I thought their defense was awesome. They blitzed a lot. They were able to get a lot of pressure on Bryce Young. And I thought their defensive line and their linebackers were fantastic in this game. All right, now let's talk about Alabama. And, man, I already said this, but Alabama was awful in this game. Um, and one of the one of the biggest issues with them in this contest was their un, was the fact that they were undisciplined. They just did not play a disciplined football game, uh, and that starts with the penalties. They had 15 penalties for 100 yards in this game. That is terrible, and that is especially bad for for an Alabama team like a Nick Saban head a coach team should not have 15 penalties in one game. And there was one, at one point in this game, they had more penalties or more penalty yards than passing yards, which is just unbelievable. Um, I can't, I can't believe that that was happening to a Nick Saban coach team. Um, but they had, uh, they just had a lot of, um, a lot of mental mistakes, um, a lot of bad penalties, uh, from their offensive line and their offense just wasn't very good in general. They had negative 0.01 EPA per drop back. Um, their offensive line struggled, which I mentioned earlier, talking about Texas's defense. Um, and, they, and they never got comfortable in this game. It took a long time for their offense to get comfortable. It, it took until the end of the fourth quarter um, for them to get comfortable. And that leads me to talking about Bryce Young. Now, Bryce Young's stats were not great in this game. And if you look at the box score, you, won't, you probably won't be impressed by his performance or by his numbers. However... He was fantastic at the end of the game. If I can say anything good about him in this game, is that he was awesome at the end in the fourth quarter. Um, he led, like he carried this team to victory. He he put the offense on his shoulders at the end of the fourth quarter, and he carried this team to the win. He is the reason why Alabama closed in this game out. He was so good at the end of this game. He, he just took the game over. He took over and was like, we're not losing this game. Um, and he made so many big-time throws at the end of the fourth quarter. Shout-out to him. Didn't play well for the entire game, but when Alabama needed him the most, he came through and played really well at the end of the fourth quarter. Now, before before we move on, I just want to say we need to pray for Alabama's players because Nick Saban 
might kill all of them. Like, I'm not kidding. He may have murdered all of them at practice today. Um, I know he was not happy about this performance. He looked pissed off on the sideline. And I know those players are, are, are going through the ringer this week. Nick Saban might kill all of them. So, let's all pray for them. And pray that they can get through this week. Alright, let's move on and talk about uh, another one of the, the bigger games this weekend, and that was Kentucky versus Florida, um, and we got to talk about, um, about this upset, so after week one, um, where Florida beat Utah, they shot, shot up the rankings, they were ranked, they were actually unranked, uh, in the preseason, and then after beating Utah, they shot up to number 12, um, and I think that was a, a, a big overreaction to week one, and that proved to be true in this game. As Kentucky won 26-16 on the road, this was a big upset win for Kentucky. Now let's go through what happened in this game. So, Florida was up 3-0 after the first quarter. Um, and then Kentucky took the lead early in the second quarter on a 55-yard touchdown pass from Will Levis. Florida went on a huge run, though, um, in, the, in this quarter, scoring a field goal, then a touchdown, then a safety to go up 16-7 near the end of the second quarter. Kentucky scored one more time before the half to make the score 16-13 at the break. However, the second half was all Kentucky. Uh, The Wildcats kicked a field goal and recorded a pick six in the third quarter to go up 23-16. Then they kicked a field goal in the final minutes of the game to secure the victory 26-16. Now, Something I want to talk about is Anthony Richardson's performance in this game. He struggled. He was on the struggle bus in this game. He did not play well at all. Let me get a drink real quick. Let's look at his numbers real quick. So he completed 14 of 35 passes. That is a completion percentage of 40%. That is awful. He also recorded just 143 passing yards zero touchdowns, had two interceptions, and had a QBR of just 3.8. Whoo! That is really, really bad. That is, like, that is, like, unbelievably terrible. And, and I mean, don't, like, when I say that Anthony Richardson was terrible, I don't mean any disrespect. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just calling it how it is. And this is terrible. I mean, for a guy who is supposed to be a first-round pick this year. For him to have this kind of performance in a big game at home, that, like, that is very disappointing. And, and I'm just, I'm very disappointed in the way he played in this game. I thought he looked really bad. These are really bad numbers for a guy who was suppo- who was supposed to be a first-round pick. This is one of the worst games I've seen from a quarterback prospect in recent memory. Um, it, it's, it, like, it, it's worse than Justin Fields' performance against Indiana. And that was a really bad game. Um, so that just shows you ha- how poor this performance was. Hopefully, a- Anthony Richardson can, can pick it back up next week um, and can step up and, and play well the rest of the year. But this was a really bad performance from him. Um, now, for Kentucky, Kentucky didn't really play great, but their defense was amazing in the second quarter as they didn't allow a single point after halftime, which is remarkable. So, shout out to the de- to their defense. Shout out to them. Like, this is a big win 
Now they're 2-0. They're undefeated. Just got a big conference win. Um, a big di- uh, divisional win. Um, so shout out to them. This was huge for them. Um, and hopefully they can keep on winning and potentially um, provide some competition for the Georgia Bulldogs this year. Now, let's move on. Talk about BYU upsetting Baylor at home. This was a big upset. Well, I guess not an upset because BYU was technically favored heading into this matchup, which was kind of weird to me because they were missing their top two receivers. Um, but they were still they were still favored, and they ended up winning 26-20. This was a crazy game. Uh, this ended up going into overtime, and, and overtime was crazy. So let's get into it. So BYU kicked a field goal in the first quarter and went into the second up 3-0. Um, right, yeah, up 3-0. Then Baylor scored a touchdown late in the second quarter, but missed the PAT to go up 6-3. Um, excuse me. And then Jaron Hall completed a 20-yard touchdown pass to go up 10-6 with two seconds left in the first half. And Qualen Jones scored a second rushing touchdown early in the third, giving Baylor a 13-10 lead. Uh, BYU then went on a little run, scoring a field goal and a touchdown to go up 20-13, heading into the fourth quarter. And Baylor responded with a touchdown pass early in the fourth, um, and both defenses held strong to send the game to overtime. Um, To start overtime, both teams missed short field goals. It was crazy. They both missed short field goals, Um, but BYU would have won the game. Uh, however, BYU scored a touchdown. Uh, I believe I'm pretty. Yeah, it would have won the game. Um, however, BYU scored a touchdown on the following drive and um, to go up in double OT. Um, however, they failed the two point conversion. I, I'm not sure why they went for two. I don't think you have to. Um, and in starting in second overtime, I believe that starts in like the third overtime. But they failed the two point conversion, and Baylor could not reach the end zone. So BYU won. 26-20 in overtime. Got to give a huge shout-out to Chase Roberts, um, who was amazing for BYU. He recorded eight receptions for 122 yards and a touchdown. He was fantastic in this game. I'm going to go to the box score because, um, if I remember correctly, there were a couple of guys on defense that I wanted to talk about uh, for both teams. So let, let's talk about it. And let's go down to... Let's talk about Baylor. So... Um, Baylor had a few guys I thought played well. Um, they had like Matt Jones, who had a who had a sack, a tackle for loss, and a pass def- a pass defended, um, along with five solo tackles. He played well. Um, so did Devin Neal, who had four solo tackles, one sack, um, and two tackles for loss. And then for BYU, um, Max Tooley had seven solo tackles, thirteen total tackles, and one quarterback hurry. He played pretty well. Um, and then Ben Bywater had one sack and a tackle for loss. Um, and those are those are the four players I wanted to talk about, give a little shout-out to, uh, because they played well in this game. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about Tennessee taking down Pittsburgh in overtime. Tennessee defeated Pittsburgh 34-27 to on the road. This was a game I was really excited about because I knew it would be high scoring, and it was. Now, it wasn't as high scoring as I thought it it might get, um, but it was still a pretty high scoring game and a lot of fun. So let's get get into it. 
Uh, Pittsburgh started this game with a bang, recording a field goal and a huge 76-yard touchdown run from Israel Abanaconda to go up 10-0 in the first quarter. So they were up double digits early in this game. Um, and Tennessee, uh, they, they did stop the bleeding, though, scoring a short rushing touchdown to make the score 10-7 heading into the second quarter. Uh, Pittsburgh struck again in the second quarter as Ken Slovis threw a 57-yard touchdown pass to take a 17-7 lead. Tennessee had enough, though, scoring two touchdowns and a field goal to go up 24-17 at the half. Um, yeah, like, they scored 17 unanswered points in the second quarter. Now, both teams traded field goals in the third, making the score 27-20, but Pittsburgh scored a touchdown to tie the score and send the game into overtime. In overtime, Hendon Hooker threw a 28-yard touchdown pass to go up 34-27, and Pittsburgh failed the score, giving the Volunteers the victory. Um, Tennessee played very well, very well in this game. Hendon Hooker was awesome, throwing for 325 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Um, Cedric Tillman was great as well, recording nine catches for 162 yards and a touchdown. And their pass rush was amazing racking up four sacks and 16 quarterback uh, hurries. This was a huge win for Tennessee, uh, a big upset for them, upset victory for them. And now they are, I believe they're 2-0 two, two and o on the year. Let me look real quick. Let me find the score. I believe they are 2-0. and o. They might, they may be 3-0, and o, uh, depending on, I think they may be 3-0. and o. They may have played uh, three games so far. Um... No, they are just 2-0, but a big win for them on the road, winning at Pittsburgh. Um, that's a big-time win for them, a huge win for the Volunteers, so shout-out to them. Um, and I'm hoping that that maybe maybe Tennessee or Kentucky can kind of provide some competition for Georgia in the SEC East because I, ju- I just don't want to see Georgia run through that division again. Like, I want to see them have some competition, and I hope Tennessee and Kentucky can do that this year. Let's hope. All right, uh, before I get get into the next topic, let me get a drink. Let me wet my throat, throat a little bit. I don't want, my, don't want my throat to get too dry. So let's talk about some of um, the biggest upsets that we saw this, this week because there were two huge upsets that honestly have completely changed college football this year. Um, and that was Marshall defeating Notre Dame 26-21 on the road, which is crazy. And then uh, Appalachian State defeating Texas A&M 17-14, also on the road. Let's talk about Marshall and Notre Dame a little bit. Um, so, I'm not going to get into the, do a full uh, in-depth breakdown of this game. But, I just got to talk about Notre Dame's offense. Like, their offense was horrendous in this game. Not, not good at all. Um, they threw a, a pick six at the end of the game, um, which basically secu- secured the victory for Marshall. Um, Notre Dame scored a touchdown after that, but they were already down double digits with only a few minutes remaining in the game. Um, so, yeah, this that basically ended the game for them. Um, but shout out to Marshall. What a win for them. Uh, go Thundering Herd. Tanking down Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame's offense struggled against Ohio State, and it struggled in this game. And that's why they ended up losing and getting upset 
at home by Marshall. That's crazy. Um, and then Appalachia State defeating Texas A&M 17-14. This was crazy. A&M's offense was horrendous. They turned the ball over twice, and they got outgained by over 100 yards on their home turf. That's crazy. Um, Appalachia State ran the ball a ton in this game, um, and I believe, did, did they have two turnovers, or did A&M have two turnovers? Let me look. Let me see. Uh, let me see. Let me go down. Because one of these teams had two turnovers, and I want to see who did. Uh, let's go team stats. Let's see. My computer's acting a little slow. Um, so yeah, A&M had two turnovers and still only lost by three, which is kind of remark remarkable. Um, uh, but their offense wasn't very good. Um, and that's been the case for like two years now. Their offense hasn't been great. And both of these teams are basically the same. A&M and Notre Dame. They're like, they're all defense, no offense. And, and that hurt them um, in this game, or in these games. And so, we in, the, in this week, we saw two top 10 teams losing to non-Power 5 opponents on their home turf. That's crazy. Now, these two teams were probably not going to make the playoff, no matter what. At least, I don't think they were. Um, because I think Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and USC are the four best teams in the country and will likely be the four playoff teams at the end of the year. Um, so I don't think any of these teams were going to be legitimate playoffs teams. However, they were potentially going to have an argument for that fourth spot. Um, and so them losing basically ends that. Like, they're not going to be a playoff team now. Like I don't see how either of these teams can make the playoff, especially with the way their offenses have been playing. Um, well, this changes the playoff outlook a little bit, and I think that's huge. Um but, yeah, like I said, now it seems unlikely uh, that both of these teams will be in consideration for the fourth spot. Unless something crazy happens for the rest of the year um, where they, they just completely turn it around and start playing well offensively. Unless that happens, I don't, I don't think either, either of these teams uh, will have an argument to be in the playoff. All right, let's end this podcast talking about Nebraska and the huge news uh, coming out of their program. So this weekend, Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern 45-42, making their record a measly 1-2. Um, and it looks like the, the Cornhuskers are going to have another underwhelming season after going 3-9 in 2021. Um, this loss gave head coach Scott Frost a, another loss and was yet another disappointing performance for a program who honestly has just hit rock bottom. And Nebraska's athletic director was obviously dissatisfied with the state of his program because he fired Scott Frost this past weekend after this loss to Georgia Southern. Um, Scott Frost's time at Nebraska was flat-out disappointing as he had a 16-31 and record through four full seasons and three games this year in 2022. Now, this is huge because Scott Frost was supposed to turn this program around when he left UCF in after the 2017 season. Obviously, he did not do that. And I I'm not really surprised that he got fired this year. He's been on a hot seat for a while now, and there was speculation that he would get fired this year or may maybe after the season. I am a little uh, surprised by the timing. The timing's a little weird because it's early in the season. Like They've only played three games, and Nebraska plays 
uh, number eight Oklahoma this upcoming Saturday. So the timing is really weird, uh, but I'm not surprised that Scott Frost got fired. This was going to happen eventually, um, and and especially with them losing to Georgia Southern, like that's just not acceptable. Um, and yeah, and Nebraska's AD was like, "We're done. We're firing you." Um, so this is big news. Now I did hear, um, I believe yesterday that they're looking at potentially getting Matt Campbell. I heard a report about that, um, and that would be a big hire for them. And apparently, the tweet I saw said that it was highly likely that that they would hire Matt Campbell. Um, I don't know if that's after the season. Like I don't think that's during the season. I don't know how that will work. But I just heard that Matt Campbell was like their primary target to replace uh, Frost. But yeah, this is huge news. Um, I don't know where Scott Frost is going to go now. I saw a funny meme this weekend talking about, it was like, it's from Mean Girls, where she's like, get in, where, um, I can't remember the character, but she's like, get in, loser, we're going to do whatever. And it's Nick Saban, and it says, get in, loser, you're going to be our new offensive analyst, which I, I thought was hilarious. Um, so maybe Scott Frost goes over to Alabama to become like this high level um, assistant coach. That would be really funny. But yeah, this is big news. Um, huge news. Nebraska firing their head coach. All right, that's all I have for today's episode. Um, this was a big week in college football. Um, I do plan on, on recording another podcast this week talking about week one in the NFL. Um, because there were a lot of crazy games in the NFL this weekend that I want to talk about. Um, but I, I just wanted to keep this a college football-only pod for this episode. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. That's all I have for today. If you want to follow me on social media, you can hit me up, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N-M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. If you want to see more content from me, you can check out my YouTube channel at The Wire. You can check out my um, my TikTok page at, at The Wire Sports underscore. Um, you can check out my, my website at TheWireSports.com. Did I already say that? I may have already said that. I'm sorry if I did. Um, I have, like, Alzheimer's. Um, and, yeah. And then, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a review. And, and that would be greatly appreciated. You don't have to if you don't want to, but... Now, that's just something that would help me out. Uh, but yeah, I hope y'all enjoyed this, and I can't wait to see y'all in the next episode. Peace.